Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khayran wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Today we're starting from the chapter Takararuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Prophet at times would repeat his message. And the message would be clear, but the purpose behind repeating it was to emphasize the subject matter so the student can internalize and let it settle in what the Prophet was saying in that. Also to let the student know how important it was what he was saying. The famous example is once a companion asked Rasulullah for advice. So Rasulullah said to him, La Tarda. Faradada Mirawan. And Rasulullah continuously repeated it, La Tarda, La Tarda, La Tarda. Which means do not become angry. Do not become angry. Do not become angry. Because how important this advice is. One simple advice can be a game changer. So similarly, when you're teaching a lesson, there are moments where you need to repeat yourself. That this particular point that I'm saying is important. So then you repeat it, then you say it once more, and then you say it again. Yes, Bismillah. Repeating a statement three times for emphasis. Rasulullah used to repeat his words in order to emphasize the subject matter and to draw attention to its importance so that the listener could understand and comprehend it fully. Imam Bukhari also has a chapter entitled, One Who Repeats His Speech Three Times So That It May Be Understood. Hafid ibn Hajar quotes Ibn al-Munayyir who said, By including this chapter, Imam Bukhari refutes those who dislike statement, statements to be repeated, those who reprimand a student for asking that something be repeated, and those who consider uh, such a request to be a sign of stupidity. Yeah, so there were ulama of the past who generally discouraged that a student requests that something be repeated because they would say, they would view it as a sign of stupidity. That why is the student asking again and again they should understand the first time. So Imam Bukhari he then established this hadith chapter in his book to, to clarify that there is nothing wrong with asking for a question, asking a question or asking for the subject matter to be clarified. And rather, Rasulullah himself would take initiative in repeating the message multiple times. This is actually a sign of a good teacher. A sign of a good teacher is that they teach a lesson and then they probably give an example, they explain the matter again, give another example, so a little comparative analysis. And through this whole process, the student has learned that one masala four times with you. It settles in. They say in Arabic that when knowledge is repeated, it settles. When knowledge is repeated and you repeat it again and again, it settles into the mind, it takes its place. Yes. He adds, in truth, the rule differs under different circumstances. If a student is unable to understand something the first time, 
There is nothing wrong in asking for it to be repeated. And there is no excuse for the teacher not to repeat it. In fact, to repeat it becomes more uh, in, incumbent on him than the, than the first time he explained it because by commencing an explanation, one becomes obliged to repeat it if it is not understood. Bukhari narrates on the authority of Anas anhu that when Rasulullah used to say anything, he used to repeat it three times so that it could be understood. Yes. One time, Aisha radiallahu anha, she heard Rasulullah say, Man husiba uzziba. On the Day of Judgment, whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does a thorough hisaba, full accountability, you are under audit. If that happens to anyone on the Day of Judgment, uzziba, they will surely be punished. They're in trouble. No one wants a full audit on the Day of Judgment. Man husiba uzziba. قالت عائشة رضي الله عنها فقلت أوليس الله أوليس يقول الله عز وجل فسوف يحاسب حسابه يسير. So Aisha رضي الله عنها she then asked the Messenger of Allah, but doesn't Allah سبحانه وتعالى say that the hisab on the day of judgment will be easy? On one side you're saying من حسب عذبا but here Allah سبحانه وتعالى says فسوف يحاسب حسابا يسير an easy counting. قالت فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إنما ذلك العرض ولكن من نوقش الحساب يهلك. That ayah is talking about a person's deeds being presented to Allah without a thorough investigation, thorough accountability. ذاك العرض that is presenting. Everyone's deeds will be presented to Allah عز وجل. But now from those people, there are those that Allah سبحانه وتعالى will open up every line and every word. And every letter, every penny they spent, they will be under a thorough spotlight. People freak out when the IRS comes after them. Imagine on that day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from any such hisab. Yes. <coughs> Emphasizing the importance of a matter by changing one's posture and, and, and by repetition. At times, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would change his sitting posture and position. So just, just to clarify, um, in the pr previous narration, previous uh, chapter, we read the riwayah of Anas radiallahu And Anas radiallahu anh says, أَنَّهُ كَانَ إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ بِكَلِمَةٍ أَعَادَهَ ثَلَاثًا حَتَّى تُفْهَمَ عَنْهُ That at times, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam while speaking would repeat himself. Repeating himself. So the message was abundantly clear. This is possible for those who speak less and also for people who are concise and selective with their words. For those of us who just babble on and say a thousand words per minute, good luck on repeating what you say. First of all, when you speak that much, it loses its value. When you speak few words and your words are carefully thought out and there's depth and meaning in them, Repeating it actually makes some sense too. Yes, go ahead. The next chapter. Next chapter? No, Hadi? No, we'll read this one. Chapter number 25. Isha'aruhu bil ahmiyati bitaghiri jilsatihi wa halihi wa takararin maqal. This is similar to the previous one, but in this case, the author is pointing out that in addition to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam repeating his statement for clarification, bitaghiri jilsatihi wa halihi. At times, Rasulullah when he would repeat a statement for its emphasis, he would also change his posture. He would sit up sometimes. Right? Sometimes you stand up when you're conveying a message. So the person sees that there's a change in posture. Whatever is about to come next is a big deal. So, yes, go ahead. At times, Rasulullah would change his sitting posture and position and then repeat what he had said in order to convey the importance and gravity of his words or warning. Imam Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Abu, Abu Barakah who said, Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr, really. Rasulullah said, Should I not inform you of the most serious of major sins? Should I not inform you of the most serious of major sins? Should I not inform you of the, of the most serious of major sins? We replied, Indeed, O Rasulullah. So he repeated that three times. Three times. 
And then Rasulullah of course, Two things he pointed out, uh, associating any partner with Allah, disobedience to the parents. While Rasulullah was narrating this hadith, he was reclined. But at this point, after saying these two things, jalasa, he sat up straight. Rasulullah started saying, false testimony and lies, false testimonies and lies. He kept saying it again and again, again and again, until in my mind I thought, will he not stop? It was so heavy on them. The way Rasulullah sat and him repeating that message again and again, lies, lies, false testimony. The riwayah of Sahih Muslim, the, the, the Rabi, the narrator of the hadith says, Rasulullah kept repeating his statement until we said, that we wish he would stop. Not to hush Rasulullah the Sahaba never had a thought like that, but it was more because they felt Rasulullah was in distress as he repeated it again and again. Now there's a discussion here. He said, Al-ishraqu billah, while reclined. Hukuq al-walideen, while reclined. But when it comes to qawl al-zur and shahadat al-zur, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sat up. The reason for this is, in order for human beings to live in peace and harmony, in order for any land to be fruitful, and beneficial for human beings to reside in, there has to be some form of a system of justice. Every person needs to at least know at the back of their mind whether they ever use that justice system or not, that it's there for me. They have to believe that. If I was on the train and someone pushed me and I got it on camera, something could happen, something should happen. If I was at work and someone discriminated against me, someone stole my wealth, Someone cheated me. Someone killed someone in my family. Someone was selling drugs. Someone committed a crime in front of me. Can I get justice or not? The justice system, in all reality, no matter how technical or complicated it is, it relies on honesty. If people are not honest, whether it's the investigators, whether it's those that are testifying, or even the judges involved, if honesty leaves the courts, that whole system, no matter how much money you pump into it, is going to collapse. So Rasulullah in this hadith is teaching us that you must always speak the truth. You don't have to testify in a court case, by the way, unless there are some cases where the Qadi can summon you. But in most cases, you're not required to testify. It's your choice to testify. You can say, I choose not to be involved in this case. But if you did see something, then you should speak. And in that case, when you do speak, you must speak the truth. This is the unfortunate reality of many of the countries across the world that we come from and our forefathers come from. There is no justice there. There's no way for a person to seek their right. Getting a simple passport can take an unnecessarily long time unless you agree to bribe someone along the way. When the justice system fails, and if you, when you talk to people back home and they ask you, well, how is America? How is living in the West? And you say, it's actually quite pleasant. And they say, but it's a land of kufr. And you say, well, I've figured out how to deal with that kufr by living a life of iman and by promoting iman. But as far as raising a family goes, building a community goes, we have freedoms in our Western countries that allow us to live and practice Islam in a way where unfortunately in many Muslim countries it is impossible. And that's the sad reality. That's the unfortunate sad reality. But anyway, let's not think about governments right now. Let's talk about individuals. As individuals, we create healthy societies by speaking the truth. So Rasulullah kept saying this again and again. Don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. Speak the truth. In the Quran, we are told to speak the truth even if it's against ourselves. 
على انفسكم او الوالدين والاقربين that speak the truth let that be your guide your parents should know that if i ask my child a question they will speak the truth even if it's against me at that time they may not appreciate it when you speak your truth but ultimately that mother will know that this child of mine always speaks the truth i hate it but they always speak the truth that's the the uh, alam sign symbol that every muslim should have so here we see rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he sat up and he he spoke of it openly like this yes go ahead there's a long discussion after we'll just get to the next chapter you can read it if you the words of false statement and a false testimony are the same in meaning they merely explain each other and serve to emphasize the point the reason for repeating the words of false a false statement and a false testimony and not the words ascribing punish to allah and disobedience to parents was to issue a particular warning against false testimony this is because people commit commit the sin more readily and overlook its gravity and its harms can be more disastrous Ascribing partners to Allah is repugnant to a Muslim and, and disobedience to parents is repugnant to one's nature. As for false testimony, the motives behind it are many. Giving special importance to it was therefore appropriate. Repetition of this was not to show that it, was, that, that it is more serious than ascribing partners to Allah or disbelief. It should be borne in mind that ascribing partners to Allah and disbelief are the greatest of sins. But rather these are easier and there are motives behind them. You know, a group of young guys are driving and someone hits them and they decide to file a whiplash case and sue the person. They're all lying. Nothing happened. No one had any whiplash. It was a small little bump. It was a, you know, but everyone's testifying accordingly. They've all come up, come up with their stories. They all have their, you know, made up bogus doctor's note and they're, they're hurting another person. And rightfully, shahadat azur. They get something out of it. They might walk away with a $5,000 check each. They might walk away with some money that comes out of it out of their petty case, but they've destroyed their akhirah. Mm -hmm. Therefore, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he allows you to always speak the truth. Sometimes you have a car accident, you were at fault, but you quickly start blaming the other person, hoping that they admit it. You fluster them, you catch them off guard, you overpower them, overwhelm them in that moment and get them to testify that they did something wrong so the insurance didn't come after you. You'd rather be held accountable. Buy your insurance and pay that premium and deal with it in the dunya than having to face the outcome of this lie in the akhir. May Allah protect us. Yes. False testimony is to lie when testifying in order to promote a wrong such as murder, uh, usurping wealth, and forfeiting the rights of others. There are no major sins which are more harmful and destructive than these after ascribing partners with Allah Ta'ala. Hence, they are considered equal to ascribing partners with Allah Ta'ala. This explains why Rasulullah resorted to repetition and was more angry at this crime compared to to, to other more serious crimes such as murder and adultery. Hafiz ibn Hajjah said, it is desirable to repeat an admonishment three times so that it may be fully understood. If the person giving the, admonish, uh, the admonition displays his uneasiness, it will be more effective, effectively remembered and more useful in conveying the need to abstain from the prohibition. We also learn from this hadith that a student should, not, uh, should be concerned when he sees his teacher disturbed and uneasy. He should hope the teacher has not become angry, for his anger could cause a change in his mood. Furthermore, it teaches us that a alim should demonstrate to his students that, that which he wishes to inform them about. This will encourage them to focus and pay attention to what they are being told. This repetition of Rasulullah and his change of posture were done to direct the attention of his audience towards the seriousness of the action from which he was prohibiting them, namely, uh, namely false testimony. Drawing the attention of one's listener by repeat by repeatedly calling him. On certain occasions, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam would repeated would repeatedly call out to a the person. The previous chapter, the first chapter was about repeating your statement. The previous chapter was about changing your posture and repeating your statement. This is itharatuhu sallallahu alaihi wasallam intibah samiq bi takrarin nida that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam would repeat his call to the individual multiple times. Ya Abadha, Ya Abadha, Ya Abadha, Ya Mu'adh, Ya Mu'adh, Ya Mu'adh. The one that he was calling, he would say their name, not once, but multiple times. This was to catch the undivided attention 
of the one that he was speaking to. The focus here was getting the attention of the student, getting their attention. Yes. On certain occasions, Rasulullah would repeatedly call out to a person while delaying his response in order to emphasize the need for attentiveness so that the person may give due importance to and try his best to understand and remember what was what was about to be said. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim narrate on the authority of Mu'ad ibn Jabal said, I was sitting behind Rasulullah on the same donkey and there was nothing between me and him except the wood against which a rider rests. Rasulullah said, O Mu'ad, I replied, here I am, O Rasulullah, and I have the good fortune of obeying thee. He continued on the journey for some time and then said, O Mu'ad, I replied, here I am, O Rasulullah, and I have the good fortune of obeying thee. He continued on the journey for some time and then said, O Mu'ad ibn Jabal, I replied, here I am, O Rasulullah, and I have the good fortune of obeying thee. Rasulullah kept saying his name and his response every time was, Ya Rasulullah that I'm here, O Messenger of Allah, I'm here, O Messenger of Allah, I'm here, O Messenger of Allah. So then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, هَلْ تَدْرِي مَا حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ عِبَادِهِ قُلْتُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُ عَلَىٰ قَالَ حَقُّ اللَّهِ عَلَىٰ عِبَادِهِ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهُ وَلَا يُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْعًا Do you know what the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is over his servants? He said, Allah and his messenger know best. So then he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that the right of Allah over his servants is that they worship him and do not associate any partner with him. So Nabi then continued traveling. Messenger of Allah, I'm here. So Nabi then put the statement around. And do you know? What the servant is deserving from Allah in return of fulfilling Allah's right? You fulfill your right to Allah by worshipping Him. Do you know what you're going to get in return? When they fulfill their, their responsibility. He said, Allah and His Messenger know. So to that, Nabi said, That in return, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not punish them. So here we see Rasulullah not delivering the answer right away, stretching it out, calling him again and again, pausing in between, asking this question. Every time he calls him and continues to walk, we show on Mu'ad ibn Jabal side, and he was patient. He could have said, so, I mean, you called my name twice. What's going on? Is there something you want to say? No, that's not the other. He was called by the Prophet of Allah. He announced his presence. Nabi didn't say anything. He had the good fortune, the good character, the sabr to know that it was his job just to sit there and wait for his turn to come. Students don't like waiting. They want the answer right away. You called me. Why don't you respond right away? Muawad ibn is teaching us that sometimes you just waited. So Rasulullah said it a second time. Ya Muawad. Nabi didn't say anything. knew that in any scenario, Rasulullah was calling out to him, so Nabi was going to say something to him. Whether he got it now or later, whenever the Prophet of Allah deemed for it to be best for him, the Prophet of Allah would tell him, and then that would be what he had to do. So he just kept himself ready and prepared. This is beautiful. He didn't push Rasulullah for an answer. And if you look at the Diwaya, each time, some time passed by. Some time passed by again. On the other side, I mean, again, from Ma'ad ibn Jabal perspective, but from another angle, it also must have increased his excitement about what was coming. That the Prophet of Allah kept asking him. And he was probably thinking, I wonder what it is. I wonder what it is. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam takes Mu'ad radiallahu anhu back down to the fundamentals. What's Allah's haqq over you? You worship Him. You're loyal to Him. Never associate any partner with Him. And then a little pause. And then again, what can you now expect from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah yuhadibah. That if you're loyal to Him, He will be loyal to you. It is impossible that a servant can love Allah more than Allah will love that servant back. 
you can never win Allah. You think you will worship Allah and Allah won't reward you for it? You're more generous than Allah, you're more sincere than Allah, you're more willing to give than Allah? Not possible. So while you're alive in this dunya, just keep depositing those checks. Keep sending off those good deeds. Every sajda, commit to it. Every act of worship, commit to it. Every majlis that you can attend, go to it. Every salah you can pray, go to it. You're just sending those checks off. You're sending them off to a bank though, that will pay you back. It will never pay you back equal to what you give. That's against the mercy of Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never give you equal to what you give. He will always multiply. There's always a multiplying factor in play. It's there. You just need to keep giving while you can and you're healthy. Yes. The next chapter. Grasping the hand or shoulder of the listener to draw his attention. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at times when talking to people, so we talked about how he would repeat their name, call out to them. Now Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to catch the attention of the person at times would also hold on to their shoulder, grab onto that person's shoulder. Sometimes he would hold that person's hand. It's an interesting conversation that therapists and counselors talk about, that when you're speaking to someone in order to add a layer of intimacy, sometimes putting your hand on that person's hand goes a long way. Wrapping your arm around that person's shoulder goes a, long way, goes a long way. Obviously in the confinements of Sharia and ensuring everyone's comfortable with the physical touch, putting your hand on that person's knee can go a long way. Holding them, holding on to them and speaking to them is a strong, embracing someone is strong, right? It's a physical, intimate contact. So here Rasulullah would do this at times as well. Yes, go ahead. At times, Rasulullah would grasp the hand or shoulder of his listener in order to increase his attentiveness to what was being taught, so that he would focus his ears, eyes, and heart towards it, causing it to be effectively remembered. Bukhari Imam Tirmidhi, the authority of Allah ibn Umar said, Rasulullah held me by my shoulder and said, Remain in this world as though you were a stranger or one who was crossing a path. Be in this world as if you are a stranger or one just passing by. And consider yourself while you are alive from the people of the grave. It's a dark thought, but it's an important one. Don't forget about your grave. Always remember it. Shaitan wants you to forget your grave. He wants you to forget about any consequences, any akhirah. Live in the moment. Forget everything else. Living in the moment is important. However, you must always remember your akhirah, where you're headed. So when you lie in your bed, you remember that there's a time that you will go to sleep and you won't wake up again. That's life. There is Shaykh al-Fatah al Ta'ala, he quotes a statement. Our reality is like uh, the, 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 the person once said, Namutu wa nahya kulla yawmin wa We live and die every day. نموت ونحيا كل يوم وليلة ولا بد من يوم نموت ولا نحيا. We wake up and die every day. We live and die every day. But one day will come that we will die without coming back to life again. So every few days we hear a story that someone breathed their last. They passed away. So while we're alive, we prepare for that. Do good deeds every day. Do a good deed that is a secret between you and Allah and no one else in the dunya will ever know. Every day. One deed that's a secret between you and Allah, no one else in the dunya will know. As you're walking, you are actually walking as a person that has passed away. But you still have life, so you can do something. Don't get too attached to the world. As the 
saying in Urdu is Jagaji Lagane ki dunya nahi Kudrat ki jahe tamasha that this world is not a place to connect your heart to. It's not a place. This world is not a place to attach yourself to. It is a place of reflection, of lessons. Tamasha not some sort of a joke. This isn't a circus that you're just in falling in love with every play and every act you see. This is this world is about reflection. Yes. Chapter. Utilizing ambiguous words in order to prompt the listener. So, based off of that statement of uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, when narrating this diwaya, he would then add his own statement. When he shared this diwaya with his students, he would then add a nasiha and advice. وَكَانَ إِبْنُ عُمَرَ يَقُولُ إِذَا أَمْسَيْتَ فَلَا تَنْتَظِرِ الصَّبَاعِ وَإِذَا أَصْبَحْتَ فَلَا تَنْتَظِرِ الْمَسَاءِ وَخُذْ مِنْ صِحَّتِكَ لِمَرَضِكَ وَمِنْ حَيَاتِكَ لِمَوْتِكَ فَإِنَّكَ يَا عَبْدَ اللَّهِ لَا تَدْرِي مَصْمُكَ غَدًا So he said to his students, when you enter into the evening, do not wait for the morning. And when you wake up in the morning, don't wait for the evening. Death can approach a person at any time. And it's very lonely. Just one week ago, my aunt passed away. And when her son called me to say that she's on her deathbed and they've stopped medicating, I told her that I want you to pay extra attention to your mother. This is the time when the malaika start coming. All the malaika will start coming. You'll see it on her face. You'll see it in her eyes. If you pay attention, she may even tell you about it. Because when a person's life wraps up and it's time to transition from this world to the next, the ghayb begins to open up. Therefore, Rasulullah said a person's iman counts until he makes the ghargara sound. This is basically the sound that the human being makes as the soul struggles to to exit the body. It's attached to the body. In those lonely moments as your soul is leaving your body, you begin to wonder now. A human being doesn't like loneliness. Is that correct? We like to be around people. Our wife, our children, our friends. And you know that they're all leaving and you're not going to see them again for a long time. Not for a long time. So it's at that time a person's a'mal come forward and they give that person companionship. And malaika come and they tell this person, Salaamun Alaikum Tibtum Fatfuruha Khalideen. Be patient. We're with you. The insan is now gone. Allah has sent us. At the beginning, maybe that person's a little sad, but then you, I'm sure it's not too bad chilling with malaika. I'm sure that that's probably fun as well. Some good conversations, some good things to learn. Who said you have to stop learning? So prepare yourself while you're healthy for the days that you will be ill in. And utilize your life before your death approaches. I walk in this actually. He's referring to himself. Oh, Abdullah, you don't even know what your name is going to be. Will it be from those that Allah loves or from those that Allah is angry with? Will you be a Ghadar on the Day of Judgment or will you be an Abd, Amma Abdullah on the Day of Judgment? Yes. Utilizing ambiguous words in order to prompt the listener to inquire about an issue and thereby encouraging its performance or a, a abstention from it. At times, Rasulullah would say something ambiguously in order to prompt the listener to inquire more about it. This would then have a greater impact upon him and would encourage him to perform the action. The Prophet would say something without clarifying it. But the statement was clear enough for the message to be understood. Not kind of like leading them on some kind of a wild goose chase. It's not that. 
The message was clear, but those who were smart would want clarification on that, and to that, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would let them figure it out. So now the Hiwaya, he shares we were one day with the Prophet وسلم, the Prophet of Allah said, that a person will now enter into this gathering who is from the people of paradise. A person came in. And he was an Ansari. Tantufu Lihyatahu min Wadu'ihi. Tantufu Lihyatahu min Wadu'ihi. With the Fatah. Wadu'ihi. The water of Wudu was still dropping off his off his beard. Wakat Allaqana alayhi biyadi his shimad. He was holding on to his uh, his footwear with his left side. The next day, Rasulullah said again that a person will now enter into the masjid who is from the people of paradise. Again, no clarification, but the message is clear. This guy is going to Jannah. Now naturally, the Sahaba are wondering why? How? How do we get that? But the Prophet did not clarify same guy entered into the masjid. The third day, the Prophet of Allah said the same thing that a person from the people of Jannah will be entering. Same person entered into the masjid. The wudu water was still dripping from his beard. Like this guy had a routine, clearly. So when the gathering ended on this third day, Abdullah bin Amr bin As followed that man. Faqala. He said to him that I had a dispute with my father. That I had a dispute with my father as a result of which I won't be seeing him for a few days. So if it's possible for you to host me during these three days, it would be a nice thing. He was trying to get inside his house. He said, sure, go on, come into my house. So for three nights, Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asr observed this man and he said the guy did not pray tahajjud salah. It's not like I was expecting that maybe he does some special tahajjud. He didn't even do that. Other than he would wake up at night, do a little dhikr, turn his side, go back to sleep, then wake up for hajjud salah. There was a small little dhikr that I saw him do during the night. For three nights he was, he was looking at him. There was one more thing. I only heard him speak. Good. He never spoke foul. So he said, I began to think that what's the big deal? This guy doesn't seem like he's doing anything special. Sleeping through the night, does a little thicker. Nothing, nothing too, mashallah. He said to that person, um, Abdullah is like a generic name. Like a generic. Oh, Abdullah, oh, servant of Allah. <laughs> that story, I said that my father and I had a dispute. There was a little bit of a stretching there. But He said, rather, what actually happened was Rasulullah said three times that a person will enter who was from the people of paradise, and all three times you were the one who entered. So I intended to come and stay with you. So I can see what your deed was. And I will therefore follow you and imitate you in your action and be from the people of Jannah. SubhanAllah. You know how people copy other people's business and their education and other people's investments. Sayyidah, 
they copy which school their kids are going to and which neighborhood they're buying houses in, which dealership they buy a house, I buy a car from. So he's saying that I wanted to figure out your amal so I can go to Jannah as well. So he said, it doesn't seem like you're too pious. Like, your deeds are not too impressive. So what is it? The Prophet of Allah spoke the truth. What is your action that has led you to this high maqam? مَا هُوَ إِلَّا مَا رَأَيْتَ SubhanAllah He said, my state is not but what you saw. What you saw of me is accurate. مَا هُوَ إِلَّا مَا رَأَيْتَ My story, my reality is what you saw. I enjoy my sleep. I have a good night. I chill. Spend time with the family. Go for walks. You know. فَلَمَّا وَلَّيْتُ دَعَانِي Abdullah bin Amr ibn Asadi Allah said, well, that was the end of that. I was getting ready to leave. And as I was leaving, he called me back. فقال, ما هو إلا ما رأيت يا ابن أخي. Yes, it is true. My state is just as you saw. What you saw of me is who I am. غير. أني لا أجد في نفسي لأحد من المسلمين غشا ولا أحصد أحدا على خير أعطاه الله إياه. Other than the fact that I have no hatred in my heart for any Muslim. I've never hated another person. I've never had harsh feelings for another person. This includes mom, dad, brother, siblings, children, friends, in-laws, husband, cousins. I've never had hatred for another Muslim. And I've never been jealous of another person for what Allah gave them. Imam Ghazali regarding jealousy says, a jealous person in reality doesn't have a problem with the one they're jealous of. Their actual problem is with Allah. Their problem is with Allah. They're mad that Allah gave someone else and they think they have any say in who Allah gives to and what he gives. Leave that person alone. Deal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In haqiqat, in reality, in haqiqat, a hasid has some way still to go to fully accept taqdeer. They haven't fully believed it. This statement of Imam Ghazali is very deep and one that a person should think about in their own life. That this innocent person that I'm jealous of is miskakiyah. What is this person? What's their fault? They have what they have because Allah gave it to them. And every blessing comes with accountability. Now the ball's in their court, whether they use it right or not. Allah gave someone beauty. Someone has natural beauty. You're jealous of that beauty. Now you have to realize that that beauty is a gift from Allah. Now that person has a huge responsibility. Are they going to flaunt that beauty to put other people in fitna? Or will they hide that beauty and use it for <coughs> for their own family? To engage with people that it's halal to display their beauty in front of them? It's a big question. Most people, unfortunately, squander the blessings they have rather than actually making something out of it. فَقَالَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ هَذَا الَّتِي هَذَا الَّتِي هَذِهِ الَّتِي هَذِهِ الَّتِي بَلَغَتْ بِكَ وَهِيَ الَّتِي لَا نُطِقَ لَا إِلَهَا هَذِهِ الَّتِي بَلَغَتْ بِكَ This act of yours is what has gotten you where you are. وَهِيَ الَّتِي لَا نُطِقُ And we are incapable of doing this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the food, inshaAllah. If you can't do a lot of tahajjud, if you're a little behind on your daily ma'amulat, your daily atkar, istighfar, salawat, if you're not taking out time every day for your own dua, if you're not regular in the masjid, the bare minimum is at night before you go to sleep, try to forgive people in the world. Don't go to sleep with any hatred towards someone else. Now everyone's, oh, but what about that one person? That one person will come back to them. Let's talk about the rest of the ummah. 
Because there might be a legitimate concern that you have with someone that actually needs to be settled on the day of judgment. There might be the one or two people who have done you wrong. You know, someone massacred all the Muslims in a village and your family was there. You don't have to forgive that person. You can deal with that on the day of judgment. But other than those few people, everyone else, all the petty disagreements you have, that person took my sandwich. That person didn't call me back. This person gave everyone da'wah and they didn't invite me, TFTI. <coughs> and you're just salty and bitter about everything. You guys know TFTI? Thanks for the invite. I just Googled it. You just Googled it? <laughs> In reality, these petty disagreements that we have, we should let them go. And it's good for your health. Don't carry stress from one day into the next day. At the end of your day, close all affairs, close all accounts, file it away, and now wake up the next morning from the beginning. It's a famous saying, probably every mother says it to her child when they get married that don't go to sleep while being cross with your spouse. I think every, every culture has a similar saying, that don't go to sleep while you're arguing or fighting with your spouse. Solve all the matters before you go to sleep. Then go to bed together, wake up the next morning happy, and tackle that day. Don't take things over from one day to the next day to the next day. Tell you. Yes, go ahead. Saying something in general terms and then expounding upon it so that it may be clearer and easier to remember and understand. At times, Rasulullah would say something in general terms in order this to. This is what we call ijmal. No, tafsil ba'd al ijmal. That first you mention something briefly and then you clarify it in much detail. Tafsil ba'd al ijmal. Ijmal means something, something to be brief. Tafsil is then the long explanation that follows. وروى البخاري ومسلم وابن ماجه واللفظ لمسلم عن انس مالك رضي الله عنه قال مر بجنازه فاثني عليها خيرا a dead person was taken past Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so people began to praise him فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وجبت 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 means it's become necessary it's become mandatory it's binding so they praised him Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم said وجبت 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 that it's binding it's binding it's binding by the way, this statement, wajibat, is vague. Wajibat, ma, ma wajibat. What's wajib? What's binding? He didn't say what is binding. He just said, wajibat, wajibat, wajibat. Wa murra bi janazatin fa'uthni alayha sharra. Then a second body was taken past Rasulullah and people began to speak evil. What a horrible person. Faqara Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wajibat, wajibat, wajibat. It is now binding, it is now binding, it is now binding. فَقَالَ عُمَرَ فِدَا لَكَ أَبِي وَأُمِّي مُرَّ بِجَنَازَةٍ فَأُثْنِي عَلَيْهَا خَيْرًا فَقُلْتَ وَجَبَتْ 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 وَمُرَّ بِجَنَازَةٍ فَأُثْنِي عَلَيْهَا شَرًا فَقُلْتَ وَجَبَتْ 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 Umar radiallahu anhu said, Rasulullah Allah explained this. The first body passed by, people spoke good, and then you said the statement three times. And the second body passed by and they spoke evil and you said this three times again. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مَنْ أَثْنَيْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ خَيْرًا وَجَبَتْ لَهُ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ أَثْنَيْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ شَرًّا وَجَبَتْ لَهُ النَّارِ أَنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءُ اللَّهِ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءُ اللَّهِ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَنْتُمْ شُهَدَاءُ اللَّهِ فِي الْأَرْضِ Those that you praised, Jannah has now become wajib upon them. And those that you spoke evil of, the fire of hell is now binding on that person. For you are the witnesses of Allah on the face of the spirit. The whole community is speaking evil of someone, that person must have done wrong. Antum And when a person does good, therefore the ulama, they write that when a person passes away, you should only speak good of that person. Uthkuru mahasina mawtaka, as we are taught, that when a person passes away, you speak good of them. There's another Nawal. 
the words that are sticking in my mind. It's similar meaning. Where Rasulullah says that when a person passes away, speak good of them. And the last part of that iwaya, I can't remember the first part, but the last part is, فَإِنَّهُمْ قَدْ أَفْضَوْا إِلَى مَا قَدَّمُ فَإِنَّهُمْ قَدْ أَفْضَوْا إِلَى مَا قَدَّمُ That when a person passes away, leave all the wrong they did. Because now they have gone forth to what they've done, what they put forward, meaning Allah will deal with them for the wrong they did. Yeah. That's the riwayah. Do not curse and speak evil of the dead, for they are not gone forward to what they did wrong. So if your mother hurt you, your brother hurt you, let it go. They've died, they're gone. There's no need to talk about that. Have good memories. Try to remember the good things. Make dua for them. Sadaqa jariya for them, inshallah. Read some Quran for them. So the statement, Antum shuhada'u fil ard. Some ulama, they said that this statement was khas with those two individuals. The statement of the Prophet of Allah that it's wajib and the people spoke on, on behalf of that person. They say it was regarding those two individuals because the Prophet of Allah was told by Allah that this was the outcome for those two specific people. Um, read, read, he has an attachment. Read it. قوله صلى الله عليه وسلم أنتم شهداء الله في الخطاب من منه صلى الله عليه وسلم الصحابة رضي الله عنهم ولكن قال العلماء ليس هذا القول some ulama says that the hadith means that if a virtuous or righteous people praise and speak good of a person, this is how he is in truth, then he will be amongst from the dwellers of paradise. But if this is not how he truly is, he will not be from amongst the dwellers of paradise. Uh, the converse is also true. The more correct view is to consider these words in their general sense. If a Muslim passes away and Allah Ta'ala inspires people to speak good of him, it is proof that he is amongst the dwellers of paradise, irrespective of whether his deeds demand it or not. This is because deeds are uh, subservient to the will of Allah Ta'ala. So if Allah Ta'ala inspires people to speak good of him, we will take it as proof that Allah Ta'ala will, uh, willed forgiveness for him. Ultimately, look, what happens to a person, only Allah knows. We can never speak definitively and say a person goes to Jannah. The ulama, they say that when a person passes away, the more people gathering together for the janazah, the better. The more sufuf, better. Because this is a testimony that people in the community were happy with this individual. Okay, we'll stop here today, inshallah. And if Allah wills and gives us tawfiq in life, we'll do um, the next chapter, inshallah, from Ijmaluhu lil ma'adudat thumma tafsiruhu in our next class. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaykum.